Romans chapter 15, we're going to read verses 30 through 33, and our emphases, our last emphases in this series on evangelistic praying will come from verse 32. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The emphasis here is that I may come to you in joy by the will of God. We've taken a look at in this series on evangelistic praying the really the spirit that we should be having when we approach praying evangelistically. And we saw that Paul definitely had an example spirit. His spirit was one of great sorrow for his fellow men according to the flesh, that is the Jew. In spite of the fact that those Jews chased him around uh, the Roman Empire and gathered up um, crowds of multitudes to persecute him and to drive him from city to city, when Paul thought about his countrymen, he didn't think about them in anger. He thought about them in sorrow, really a great pain. Then he had an unceasing grief. And both that great sorrow and the grief combined for not a discouragement, but an intense desire. And when those three things came together in the apostle, it sprung forth prayer. Prayer that his countrymen would be saved. And of course, you know that was one of Paul's great burdens. He, he almost... Uh, perhaps we could say this, he had to wrestle with being an apostle to the Gentiles because he had such a burden for his own countrymen. And what came out of that burden was Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And one of you mentioned to me Romans 11 here this morning, and you know that when you get to Romans 11, Paul writes, so there's coming a day when all Israel would be saved. And that really was his comfort, that God's plan had not rejected his countrymen, even though they had fallen and through their fall came our salvation, the Gentiles, but that God had not totally neglected them, that he was going to return to those people and do a great work, great saving work among them. And then we talked about <clears throat> purposeful praying. And we gave some extended time to this, and we'll see it again as we go through the commission of Christ. And that is, we should go with a purpose. And the purpose is to make disciples. And I had a person comment to me something that I've thought to myself as I was preparing for this series on the commission, is that... In general, I think all believers confess Christ to some degree and to some measure, but as far as purposeful confessing, we tend to draw short of the glory. 
It's like, well, if God doesn't providentially bring things in my path and it doesn't providentially come to my mind and all of this, but no, there needs to be a purposeful uh, going to make disciples. And here we saw in Colossians a purposeful praying for a door to speak. And of course, Paul <clears throat> did pray that there would be a door of utterance opened up for them. And of course, the context of that utterance is the mystery of Christ. Paul wanted a courageous clarity, a plainness of speech in proclaiming the gospel to others, and Paul prayed for that. And if Paul's praying for this, then surely that means that you and I have to pray for this, right? <clears throat> then thirdly, there's purposeful praying for boldness. Not just courageous clarity and proclamation, but a boldness that we may open our mouth to make known the gospel with boldness. And I think some of that boldness falls back on what we've been studying on Sunday mornings, and that is realizing that Jesus Christ has all authority. And when he gives that commission to the church, he's giving that commission to the church and he's delegating the authority behind the commission. And you remember at the end of that he says, Behold, I am with you. Who's the I? The one with all authority. So not only is the one with all authority communicating the commission, the one with all authority is with the church that is carrying out that commission. And we definitely need boldness to do that. I don't know about you, but there's been many occasions where I've walked away from a situation and <clears throat> it was just one of those situations where I would have just had to blurt it out, just kind of make a door. And I didn't do it, and I walked away regretting that I had not done that. And then we saw there was praying for gospel success. <clears throat> the normal, natural response to gospel witness is rejection. I think it would be good for us to understand that. The normal, natural reaction of fallen men and women to the gospel is rejection. You don't have to pray for that. But you do have to pray for the gospel to find success in the hearts of people. And of course, <clears throat> we talked about the Thessalonica church and what they heard as that gospel message echoed from that congregation. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about evangelistic praying in light of resistance. We normally think that if our prayers are answered, <clears throat> that we would have success with no obstacles. That that's really God's will. But as you look through the book of Acts, and you look through the Pauline epistles, what you find is gospel success in the midst of obstacles. And I think we all can agree that, just kind of going through our minds in the Bible to see that. Paul not only had reception, he had rejection. 
Not only did he have success, he also had failure in multitudes of people rejecting that gospel. And so we need to pray in light of that resistance by others. And I made mention that places like Philippi, Paul and his company was drawn into governmental courts and beaten and imprisoned. But did they have success? Yes, we had a church at Philippi, one of his beloved churches, as we read in the book of Philippians. They went at Thessalonica, the whole city was troubled and in an uproar. Or at Berea, you had similar troubling came to that city as people from Thessalonica came down to Berea. And yet he had success, didn't he? It was the Bereans who were searching the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was preaching was exactly what the scripture was saying. <clears throat> and then, of course, in Corinth, he had strong gospel success. Jesus told him, I have many people in this city. And yet... <clears throat> He also experienced strong reproach <clears throat> and hostility from the Jews. How do you pray in light of that? Well, you keep praying for success. You keep praying that the gospel would go forth. You keep praying in the midst of those obstacles. In fact, we may possibly come to the conclusion that if the gospel is sincerely being proclaimed, we would expect opposition from the evil one. Right? We would not expect the evil one to, as it were, take this lying down and just say, oh good. No, there would be response to that. Now this afternoon, I want to talk about evangelistic praying that brings joy. You ever had a prayer a deep, long-seated prayer request get answered. And it's like, it's like a woman with a child. She, as it were, forgets the travail for the joy of the child. Now, if you were to ask her, do you remember that it was hard and that she suffered and that you know, she came down close into the pit of death, she would say yes. But what does she have in her hands? She has in her arms the baby, the fruit of the suffering. And when we see God answer a prayer like that, we tend to forget the agony and the discouragement and the obstacles and the faint of heart that we had for the joy of having the answer to that prayer right in front of us. And when we're talking about evangelistic praying, we can have joy to see God answer prayer in the midst of resistance. Just think about this. We mentioned at Philippi, Paul had resistance. And yet he also had success, did he not? When he writes back to that church, he just expresses joy for them and towards them because they're deep in his heart. And so here we have a situation of having joy in spite of the obstacles. And we can have joy even with the results. <clears throat> we live in a culture where people are antagonistic toward being saved. They've grown up in churches hearing a form of the gospel in some cases, denying the power of the gospel, 
They've tried it. And I use that in quotes because you don't try it. Okay, but they tried it. And to them it didn't what? Didn't work. And so when you come to them and start talking about the gospel, they're just automatically dismissive of the whole thing. And yet, can we have joy of seeing answered prayer in spite of that? And the answer to that is yes. There's people out there who want to hear. And our sister over here was relaying to me this morning, my wife and I, about getting a random, I guess, spam phone call and trying to, I think she said, selling her to go to Las Vegas, which I, I know is a vain effort on their part. And she just turned it around for an opportunity of the gospel. And the gentleman on the other side says, well, do you have a Bible? Can you read me the passage? I mean, who would have thought, right? And I'm sure when Alfreda left, she didn't leave dejected and down and in the pit of despair. She was happy, right? Because here was an opportunity. It wasn't success like the guy got saved, but it was success he was open to hear, and who knows what's going to happen in the future, right? And so here is that type of thing. We live in a culture that's declining. Um, we have rapid sexuality, sensuality, fornications everywhere. Um, we had opportunity, my wife and I, to really be exposed in situations where we normally wouldn't expose ourselves and just seeing the media and what's on the media, what's on cartoons, what doctrine and theology is being communicated to our young people. It's depressing. And yet, can we have joy in the midst of that type of thing? The answer is yes, when we see God beginning to answer our evangelistic prayers. There's obstacles to taking the gospel out financially. I never know of any church that has enough money to do all that they want to do. None. And yet, can we have joy and success in this? The answer to that is yes. The ignorance that is out there. The lack of knowledge of God's ways. We, we could go on and on and on about all the obstacles and all the discouragements that are out there that would war against us evangelistically praying. And yet Paul himself says, look, <clears throat> I want you to pray about my service for Jerusalem that it may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God. He not only wanted joy himself, he wanted to go back to the churches at Rome and communicate to them the joy of that answered prayer that they prayed. And what a blessing that is. Now, of course, you know the situation here in this passage. Paul is praying for deliverance from Jewish unbelievers. He's going back to Jerusalem. And he is praying for the reception of the Jews at the church at Jerusalem, the Gentiles' contribution. This may not have been evangelism in the sense of seeing people regenerated, but it was evangelistic in the sense of trying to bring those two parties together for the gospel of Christ. 
And then he's asking them to pray for this prosperous journey with joy by the will of God. Now, the question here that we have to ask ourselves is, these are all evangelistic praying. Did he see them answered? Could he have joy in the midst of this? Well, did Paul go to Jerusalem? Did he take the offering? Was it well received? Did he run into trouble? He did run into trouble. What is the prayer request? Verse 31, that he would be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So he did run into trouble, didn't he? Did God answer that prayer? Did God deliver Paul? And the answer to that is yes. The Lord used the Romans to actually put him in prison. You say, well, that's depressing. Well, one thing that did was protect him from harm. He's in bad situation, right? Their prisons didn't have televisions and all that in them, right? He's in a bad circumstance, but the bad circumstance is protecting him from a worse circumstance. So in that sense, Paul did have that prayer answered. He was delivered from Jewish unbelievers, and he was delivered by putting in, being put in prison and protecting him from harm. Do you think Paul might have had the proper perspective and that while he's in that prison cell, think to himself, now, I've been asking the Gentile churches to pray that I might be delivered from evil, unbelieving Jews. And look at what God did. God delivered me, and He continued to deliver him from the plots and schemes to try to put Paul to death. The Lord's answering that prayer. And I think Paul, Paul doesn't say this, but I think Paul, seeing that answer to prayer, would have joy. Then his second prayer request was that, <clears throat> that the Gentiles' contribution for the saints would be well received. And you nodded your head when I said, was it well received? And the answer to that was yes. And so that was an answer to prayer. And I'm sure Paul, when he went there and he gave this and it was well received, and he thought to himself, well, that's an answer to prayer, and therefore I think he had joy in his heart for the answer of that prayer. And then his third prayer request is verse 32, that Paul may come to you, that is the churches in Rome, in joy by the will of God, <coughs> excuse me, and find refreshing rest in your company. Paul wanted a prosperous journey did he have a prosperous journey? Did he ever make it to Rome? He did make it to Rome. Now I'm sure that when Paul was saying, pray for a prosperous journey, he wasn't thinking in shackles. Right? But <clears throat> that prayer request was actually answered about three years later when Paul was brought 
to the city of Rome. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 23. It's just a few pages back here in your Bible. Acts chapter 23. <clears throat> Excuse me, 28. <clears throat> Acts chapter 28. And verse 15. Acts 28, verse 15. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Alpheus and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took what? Courage. Everybody see that? So here he is. He's praying for a prosperous journey by the will of God that he would come to them in joy. He is brought there by God's hand through this vessel of the Roman government. They land and he's taken. He's still in shackles. He's taken up the road toward Rome. The brethren came, believing people came, and when he saw them, he took encouragement. I'm here. Just like Christ said. And he took encouragement and refreshment when he saw the brethren, and he thanked God. I wonder if he thought, you know, three years ago I wrote to the churches at Rome, and ask them to pray for this to happen. And it what? And it happened. Now folks, what I want us to see here is that there's joy in answered prayer. But it is a joy in answered prayer that's not always answered like you're thinking when you ask the prayer. Everybody following me? You're praying for something. And usually when we pray for something, we're praying with some kind of form of answer in our head. For instance, you know, if you're praying for uh, a financial bill, you may be praying for it, and you may be thinking, ah, somebody could send me a check in the mail. And that would be the answer to my prayer. But you're asking for God to pay the bill, right? Then all of a sudden, you find out two people come to you and ask if you could do some work for them, and they would pay you. However, by doing the work, you're really going to be super tired. Like, you got to go to this job, then you got to go to that one, and you got to do the next one. And by the time you get through all three of them, you're just exhausted on the back of, on your back of your bed, just laid out. That wasn't how you thought he was going to answer the prayer. But while you're laying there on your back, all wore out, you remember that you asked the Lord to pay for the bill, and he what? And he did. And even though you might not have enough energy to express your joy by leaping around the room, you're laying there with joy in your heart because God answered the prayer. Even though it wasn't necessarily the way that you thought that he would answer. And folks, th this happens all the time. You may be praying for a relative to be saved. And 
you know, you're thinking, you know, I'm going to write them a letter and, you know, they're going to get saved. And, and then you find out your relatives got terminal cancer. Well, that wouldn't be the way that you, that wouldn't be the means by which you would want them to come to know the Lord, right? But let's just say for illustration's sake that that's what happens. They kind of arrest their life. They look and say, life is short. I'm going to die. There's an eternity out there. There's a heaven. There's a hell. I, I need, I'm a sinner. I'm not going to stand. I need help. And all of a sudden you find out that they picked up a gospel track from somewhere and they read that gospel track and they called on the name of the Lord. And that would be an answer to your prayer, right? But probably not the way that you wanted to see the prayer answered. But it still was an answer to prayer and it gives you joy in your heart. Paul was taken to Jerusalem. Paul <clears throat> took a vow before, because of the saints and the believing Jews in the church at Jerusalem. And he goes to the temple and there's a mob there who recognizes him. He's not doing anything but worshiping God, minding his own business. He's not preaching. He's not doing anything. And the mob comes in and accosts him. He ends up being protected by a Roman guard. He ends up being having a Jewish trial. Then one of his, was it a cousin, finds out that there's a plot to kill him. He goes and tells Paul, and then Paul says, go tell it to the soldier. He's then transported to Caesarea. Then while he's in Caesarea, he actually stands before Felix, and then he has to stand before Festus, and then he has to stand before Agrippa. Some three years he's there in this prison cell. He gets pressured to give a bribe. They wanted him to give a bribe. He wouldn't do it. He's accused of insanity by Agrippa. Paul, you're insane. He appeals to Caesar. He ends up being shipped to Rome. He ends up being in a storm. He gets shipwrecked, goes to Malta, ends up leading a community of unbelievers to the Lord, <laughs> gets, bit by, gets bit by a poisonous snake. It didn't kill him. He shakes it off. <clears throat> I would have died from fright, but anyway, it didn't kill him. And then he ends up, arrives at Rome. He spends two years in a rented cottage strapped to a Roman soldier. And all of that was for the purpose of answering Paul's prayer <laughs> that he might go to Rome with joy in the will of, in the will of God. Now, folks, we really, we really need to understand this in our praying. We can pray for whatever we want, but we don't get to dictate how He answers the prayer. He answers the prayer appropriately and justly for our good. And all of these prayer requests that we have in the book of Romans chapter 15, in fact, just going through my mind here, I think every prayer request that Paul asked the churches to pray for were all answered. They may not have been answered in the way that you and I would have answered them. 
but they were answered. And so we too need to take joy in answered prayer, even if the prayer that we're praying doesn't happen according to our thought patterns or the way that we would do it or the way we think God should do it, but that we should leave the means of the answer to Him. And folks, God's ways are always right. You think about the poor, unbelieving Gentiles on that island of Malta. What if Paul hadn't have been shackled? What if he hadn't been in the ship? What if the storm hadn't come? And the Romans... um, Soldiers on that ship actually disobeyed Paul in going. Paul said, don't go. They said, we're going. And the storm came. And Paul could have said, and he did say it. I'm not sure he said it with a, you know, knee, 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 you should have listened to me. But he said, you know, I told you not to go out. But then they end up on an island where Paul gets to give the gospel. And you know, those Roman soldiers heard that. What a gift. Now, if it would have been us, we would have been better to say, okay, let's have a committee and let's raise money for, you know, pastor and, you know, Malta needs the gospel and we'll just send him on a plane over to Malta. Well, that wasn't the way the Lord did it. But in those circumstances, God brought an answer to prayer and glory to his name. And as I was sitting here saying this, I couldn't help but think about another prophet, Jonah. Now, he wasn't praying to reach the Ninevites. He didn't want to reach them at all. But the Lord did. And did the Lord get him there? The Lord did get him there. Not the way Jonah would have done it. He wouldn't have done it at all. But he did get him there. So brethren, we, we really need to submit our prayer life to the one who answers. And when things begin to go haywire in our eyes, when things don't proceed like we think that they ought to proceed, we still ought to keep praying and we still ought to have our eyes looking for the answer. So that when the answer comes, we can take encouragement and give thanks to God for answering that prayer. Evangelistic praying. Jesus said, These things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that my joy, that your joy might be full. Ask in my name, and you shall receive, that your joy may be, what? Full. May the Lord improve our prayer life, both individually and corporately, for His namesake and for the glory of God. Let's pray.